Welcome back, everyone, to episode 16 of Life and Lit. And this week we are featuring a newer novel by a classic author. And we will be discussing The Institute by Stephen King. I'm Sydney. And I'm Paige. And this is Life and Lit. So hopefully everyone listening out there, you recognize the name Stephen King. If, if not, not <laughs> I'm going to ask you to leave. <laughs> yeah, if not, I'm a little one like concerned and wondering what you're doing on a book podcast if you don't know the name Stephen King because he is known for the, being the master of horror, or that's what I like to refer to him as. But he also has spanned many genres his novels have been featured into incredible films and TV shows. So even if you haven't read any of his books, I'm positive that you've watched a film. And if you haven't, I also wonder what you're doing with your life. <laughs> if you haven't seen Shawshank Redemption or The Green Mile or Carrie. So I will so- say... I always knew Stephen King as the, like you said, the master of horror and the scary novels and the scary movies, you know, It, Pet Cemetery, all those, the one with the twins in the hallway. Uh, the Shining, yes. The Shining. <laughs> I was like, Red Rum, that one. But the very first novel I read by him, which I will not name today because we will be discussing it at a later date. Is it my favorite novel? It's your favorite one? <laughs> yes. I never read Stephen King because I Are didn't you want to read. That was my first one. Are you serious? Yes. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah. No, because I just associated all his books with the horror movies that, you know, were adapted from them. I didn't think he wrote anything else like any other genre but he really does and I would I mean they all kind of have the ones I've had sort of have a horror aspect to them but not in like the jump scare way that I was used to and I would say it's some of his books are more of a mystical feature where it's not exactly scary like Pet Cemetery and The Shining which I think Pet Cemetery was the first Stephen King book I read, and I was absolutely too young to be reading it. <laughs> yes, that is the first Stephen King movie I ever watched, and I was way too young to be watching it. I'm still still scarred. I will not watch it. <laughs> no. I will not watch that, and my when we were watching it, my cousins who I watched it with, they had a cat that looks exactly like Church. And yes, and it freaked me out because one of like the scary moments in Pet Cemetery, like you jump and we all screamed. And then I looked up and we were watching it in the basement. Stupid idea. But I look (laughs) up and in the basement window is exactly like church and its eyes were glowing and it I'm triggered, man. I can't. Yeah, that's freaky. (laughs) So what stuck with me about that novel surprisingly isn't the animal aspect because I'm a huge animal lover, but what traumatized me from that book is that they talked about how busy the road was and like the kid, yes. the, the cat and the little kid were both hit 
by semis on that road. Yeah. I lived on a really busy highway once. And every time a semi would go by, if I was outside, I literally would cringe <laughs> yes. because I would think of like an animal or a person just getting smoked by a semi. And I would think of that book every single time. Yes. It I mean, the littlest, <laughs> the littlest things from his novels stick with you. I think something from every book I've read of his has stuck with me in some little way. Like, I, I don't know. We got off on a Stephen King tangent. Uh, I mean, I think he deserves it. He's, I personally think one of the best writers, like, yes learn day because he can do crazy scary make you jump out of your seat and then he can also turn it into a really realistic like science fiction mystical aspect yeah realistic aspect in a different way so he does a really good job of kind of running the gamut and doing different things which I love yes I love I love him as an author you know more than I anticipated and I've read three very different books by him I feel like I've read the institute obviously the one we are discussing tonight the one that we will be discussing on a later date there's your hint and a very specific date a very specific date like from that book I every time I hear this will be a hint only to people who have read it um Glenn Miller's in the mood immediately think of it immediately think of that book and then the stand which was the second book by him that I read which I don't necessarily know if I recommend reading the stand in the middle of a pandemic um, because it's about a global (laughs) pandemic that wipes out like 98% of the world's population or something. Yeah, that's not a good timing. <laughs> I, I, I highly recommend the book. I think it is one of his best books. It's also 1,400 pages long. So, like, Oof. buckle up and get ready to be reading for days. That's not a quick afternoon read, as my you know favorite saying goes. <laughs> highly recommend it, but also just be prepared for what you're going, in, going into. But... Uh, going off on the tangent of how amazing Stephen King is, he is the way he can weave a story and the way he can set up a plot, and especially the way he can take two seemingly like unconnected plots, and you have no idea how they're going to come together until the very end. And it's just it blows your mind every time how he can do that. And personally. The, I- I think the characters he develops are yes. so great. I think he yes. I will is, say does one of the best jobs at that of authors that I've read of like making you love a character even if they're not even good, like a good person. Yes. But he's just so good at developing them. Yes, he's really good at developing all the flaws of the good characters and then all the good characteristics of bad characters, if that makes sense. He's really talented at that. But I will say, I love Stephen King, but he absolutely writes female characters like a male author would. I can see that. And I don't know. Not saying that's bad. Not saying that's good. It's just you can, uh, when I read his female characters, it's just extremely obvious to, to me that a male 
wrote that character or came up with that character. Well, and now that I think about it from the books of his that I've read, which are not all of them because he has 64 so novels. Wow. And then there's short stories. There's ones under pen names. There's essay collections. He's got a million. But all the ones I can think of, whether it's The Shining or Pet Cemetery, or this novel, you know, The Green Mile, The Shawshank Redemption short story, they're all from the perspective of male protagonists. Like that's yeah. the main character, which makes sense because I'm sure he can write that a lot better than, you know, you or I could. Yeah. So right it does what you kind know. Of, yeah, makes sense in that aspect. I love telling people, I don't, I don't want to say that I have a favorite author, but when people ask, you know, what authors do you like? Stephen King always comes to the forefront oh, of my yeah. mind because of he wrote my very favorite book of all time. So that's what I yeah. think of. And I love to see people's reaction because they're like, you look like such a nice girl and you love <laughs> yes. this horror guy. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> sure do. Cause he's awesome. Yes. And not like, not all of his books are horror. It's just so funny that he's built up such of that reputation that I think started with his earlier novels were almost exclusively scary. And now that he's kind of shifted, people still think of him that way. Yes. Yeah. If if you ever want to get Sydney to just talk for an hour straight with no pauses and like no contribution on your end, just bring up Stephen King and yeah. then your favorite book of all time, which will be named later. You get I so excited would. every time, and it's—I love to see it. You're like, it's oh my, my god, <laughs> it's my number one book recommendation when people but say I, they need books, and I will tell them. I'll be like, "Have you read this one?" Because you yes, should. <laughs> I am now. I you have like trained me to do that because everyone's <laughs> like, "I'm so bored. What should I read next?" I'm like, "Have you read?" <laughs> yes, like, your life will be changed. It's also, the first book I read in quarantine. Really? I mean, I hope yes. Because you recommended it to me and it's, you know, 900, almost 900 pages, which surprises me because you don't like long books. You, you know, readily admit that. I don't typically, but man, I love, I love this book. I own it and it's one that I would reread. Like, oh, I plan on rereading it this year. I hope the anticipation for you guys to hear what book this is (laughs) (laughs) keeps you going for another six months because yeah. that's how long it's gonna be and there's a hint so you'll get to hear yeah. me drone on and on about it and if my friend stay Sarah's tuned for the two hour episode yes if my friend sarah's listening she knows what book it is and i'm gonna call her out over and over but yeah hopefully the build-up is good yes oh i'm so excited for that one but now we need to focus on the institute which is the most recent book I read by Stephen King I read it back in October actually it was my vacation read (laughs) we took a family trip with my niece to Disney World and that was my poolside read the institute (laughs) that is an interesting yeah that's a really interesting place to be reading a book about children (laughs) yeah yeah exactly it was like oh this is very weird you know you're at the happiest place on earth and I'm reading the institute um very, very good. Um, I just grabbed it at the library when I went to look for a vacation book, and I knew it was going to be very popular, so I grabbed it while I could, and I tore through it. 
It is really good. This is one that, no surprise, I listen to on Audible. <laughs> right. Once again, usual. Audible. <laughs> Shout out. That's how I get most of my content because it's so easy to just play while I do whatever I'm doing. But I really liked it. It took me a minute to get into on Audible, but once I did, I was hooked and I, yes. oh, it's just so good. So, I think you recommended this to me as well. I think I did. Or yeah, even, I kept asking you yeah. what I should read or maybe that was around the time you kind of planted the seed for this podcast and you were like, we could talk about this if yes. you would do this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, let's just jump on into the plot summary for The Institute by Stephen King. Luke Ellis is not your average kid. He's an academic genius being prepped to enter college at just 12 years old, and he can move things with his mind. When he is kidnapped and taken to The Institute, he meets dozens of other kids with powers like his. They're subjected to cruel tests and procedures, but for what? Who's running this place and how is it even possible? Luke teams up with the other kids to try to escape the horrible treatment and expose the horrors of what's happening at the Institute. That's excellent. That doesn't give anything away. This book I know. is a wild ride. It was hard. And we'll get into the whole subplot too that I didn't even mention in there. Cause I'm like, it's hard to condense this into something that's not going to completely give it away. Um, but yeah, it's really good. So as always, we will put our spoiler alert here. You've heard the basic premise of the book. And so if you want to go and read it or listen, pause now, go that, go read or listen, and then come back when you've finished. And otherwise we're going to do a deep dive into the plot and story of the Institute. Awesome. So like you said, The book is centered around Luke, but the book actually kicks off with Tim Jameson, who is a divorcee. He's an ex-police officer who was let go after an accident regarding a reckless discharge of a weapon. And he's headed to New York for a new job. But on the flight, you know, as they do when the plane is overbooked, they offer up a cash voucher And Tim's like, you know what? Why the heck not? I'm just going to take the cash and I'm going to hitchhike, which is such a white male thing to do. Yes. And so (laughs) first of all, two thoughts with this, because he's offered $2,000 to give up his seat, which like one, that's awesome. No, I've (laughs) been on flights where they've done that. And they're like, we'll give you 500 bucks, which I mean, 500 bucks is 500 bucks. I know people that have done that and said, yeah, we'll find a different flight if you give us the money. But 500 to 2,000 is a pretty big jump. Yes. And two, just to like hitchhike. Like why not just rent yes. a car at that point if you have $2,000? Exactly. Just, just rent a car and drive yourself. Like hitchhiking, that only that is only a white male thing. <laughs> and this is set relatively modern day i think the i think the book came out in like 2016 and i guess 2019 it's very new okay but i don't think they give an exact year of when the story takes place, no but it's relatively modern you can tell yeah so i'm like it's not even like it's the 70s where everyone hitchhiked and you just didn't know how dangerous it was like 
we all know better now. Yes. <laughs> you should not be hitchhiking if you can avoid it. But. Exactly. So Tim goes against all logic and hitchhikes his way south. <laughs> or wait, no, north. north. <laughs> Florida to New York. Florida to New York. I was going the, I was going the wrong way. So anyway, hitchhikes his way north. And then actually decides, you know what? Nah, I'm going to stop in Dupre, South Carolina, after he sees the help wanted sign for a night knocker at the local police station. And instead of taking the security gig in New York, he applies for the night knocker job in this tiny South Carolina town, which a night knocker, this is what kind of made me question like the timeline or like the timing of the book, like when it was set, because who has a night knocker anymore or was Dupre just kind of you know not a progressive town like it was kind of just stuck the in the 80s you know yeah. like I don't yeah and so, I think it just perfectly encapsulates like a small southern town where they still yes. do things old-fashioned even down to one calling it a night knocker because he's it's basically just like a night patrolman right he just, you know, yeah, he makes sure everything is quiet in the town. And, you know, he has no gun. He has no power to arrest anyone. He literally just walks around the town at night and makes sure everything is okay. Nothing looks too sketchy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Tim gets to know the locals. If you read the book, you'll get to know the locals as well. They're a ton of great characters. Very vibrant. Very Stephen King characters, you know. Um, but... This is not how I expected the book to start off. When I read, you know, the summary and when you hear your summary, you don't expect Tim to come in and just like kick the whole thing off. So right. I was definitely, I agreed with the, it was slow to get into part because I was like, where is this going? Like, and Steven, we trust, but where <laughs> is this going? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. But, so then you leave Tim behind in South Carolina and then you get to the, you know, main part of the book that centers around Luke Ellis, who is a 12-year-old, like you said, extremely gifted, exceptional student in Minneapolis. You know, he tested, he aced the SATs. Yeah, they're trying to get him into college. They're trying to get him to college years in old. Boston. He's 12. And, you know, his parents are these you know seemingly normal people they live in the suburbs of Minneapolis they just you know Luke is an only child they seem like a very normal family you know with a very gifted child except Luke is also telekinetic he can't necessarily control it and his parents are aware of it in a way um but but it's really like it's like weird Subtle. things happen around him yes, rather like, than he is controlling things. Yes. Like I remember one scene where they're at the local pizza parlor eating supper and it seems to happen when Luke gets emotional, whether good or bad, like extremely happy or like angry or confused. And the pizza pan just like flies off the table on its own and crashes to the ground. So it's things like that where – yeah, it's, it's easy for them to explain away of, oh, we just knocked it over, dropped it or whatever. Exactly. But it's definitely him doing it on his own. Not really on purpose. It's just something that happens to him and around him. Yes, exactly. So, you know, gifted child, 
normal parents, normal family going moving to Boston so their 12-year-old can go to college. <laughs> um, so, you know, he, in such a short time, Stephen King really, you know, hammers home how close Luke is with his parents and how much they're willing to do for him. But sadly, that night, Luke is abducted by a group of people who murder his parents when they take him. So I guess we should say there is like a horror factor a little bit. Maybe not horror, but it's not all Sunshine and Daisies in this book. Yes, there's definitely, this has some difficult subject matter yeah i mean i kind of hinted at what happens to these kids when they're at the institute but it's really cruel and upsetting and then obviously for his parents to just be murdered and he's abducted um yeah it's definitely it's a little dark definitely yeah definitely dark love it because i mean he writes it so realistically that it's like you believe that this could happen yes in this normal world with this normal kid versus you know Cujo which I think is his older novel with like the crazy dog or you know some of the more mystical things that are totally out there but this novel is more like a super super realistic setting with just these oddball things and it's yes Yes, these very little things that, you know, maybe aren't as realistic. He makes seem very realistic. But so just, you know, dark storyline warning from here on out. Yes. Potential triggers, I guess. So Luke is abducted. His parents are murdered when they take him. And he wakes up in the Institute in an exact replica of his room. But he is now at the Institute. You know, he's very confused about where he is. And he goes out, you know, he leaves his bedroom. He goes out and finds that he's in a long hallway. And he sees another girl there who introduces herself as Kalisha. And so Kalisha starts to explain what's going on and where he is. So he is at a place called the Institute, which is a facility for telekinetic and telepathic kids. And it's run by two people. I mean, there's a lot of adults that kind of keep it all going from housekeepers and staff, but the main two in charge are Dr. Henricks and Mrs. Sigsby. And the Institute is divided into two sections. So there's front half, which is where she and Luke are at and then there's back half and no one really knows what goes on in the back half but Kalisha says that once kids go there they never come back they're never seen again and so she's kind of explaining you know you want to stay in front half because they're going to do some weird stuff to you but at least you'll be up here and if they move you to back half, like no one knows what's going to happen. Try to avoid that for as long as possible. And so Kalisha starts to introduce Luke to some of the other kids. And he finds out that they're all, like I said, either telepathic, which they call TPs or telekinetic TKs. And I think this is really the first time that he's ever met someone like him. 
that yeah. can do things like him. And they are, you know, variable strengths at this, or they have different levels of power. Like, yes. Kalisha is a TP, and Luke is a TK, but Luke is, you know, kind of like a low average TK because he cannot control his power. It's just, you know, weird stuff happens around him or, you know, sometimes his emotions will affect things. But the strong TKs and the strong TPs know how to control their powers. Yes. And so they're basically, they've been chosen to be here because of these special powers. And the staff there will, like, track them and run tests on them. They'll do what they call shots for dots. So they'll give the kids shots and then monitor their reaction to it and what happens. And they're trying to see if they see dots, like. Stasi lights. Yes. So I envision it of like, you know, you've got your eyes closed and like strobe light type effect. I don't really know. I envisioned it sort of, this is going to make me, Maybe not sound that intelligent, but like, <laughs> after, like if you accidentally look at the sun and you close your eyes and you have all those like dots dancing around yes. your eyelids, that is what I. No, I don't look at the sun on purpose. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I was also gonna say like when or if you, you look at a light, I, I don't know. Yeah, or when you have like the floaties <laughs> that yes. you can see, and I'm like, I think that means something's kind of wrong with you maybe not everyone yeah. gets that I don't know no. <laughs> floaties. my eye doctor definitely asked me that <laughs> when oh. I go and I think the answer should be no <laughs> sometimes not all the time <laughs> all right, I don't have well, glasses maybe I should Ugh. yeah but, maybe you should go to the eye doctor um <laughs> yeah <laughs> so. that's what I envision it as but either way they're injecting them with different things to see if they can cause the Stasi lights. Which Kalisha cautions Luke, like, even if you can see the dots lie, like, lie yes. as long as possible. Because, because once you see the dots, you go to the back half, and that's where kids do not return. Yes. And so they've all kind of learned, they've started to learn, like, they don't really know why they're doing these or what they're looking for, but they've learned some things to say or not say. Yes, um, just, you know, from talking to kids who saw the dots and then, you know, two to three later, two to three days later, they didn't return. They were taken to the back half and they were, didn't return. So they're trying to figure out the system slowly but surely, but still they have no idea what they are there for. But after one of the most disturbing parts, I mean, there were a lot of disturbing things in this mm-hmm. book, honestly. But one of the most disturbing parts to me was like after they did these experiments on these children or, you know, kind of tortured them, they would give them tokens for like how good they were. And there were like the tokens would earn them prizes. There were vending machines where they could get soda or snacks or like even cigarettes or alcohol. (laughs) Yes. Like 12 year old kids were like smoking cigarettes or trading cigarettes and drinking alcohol but it also got you um access to a computer in the in your room each room had a computer that needed a token to be operated obviously it didn't have a limited internet 
right? A lot of things were redacted or blocked, like certain sites were blocked of things happening in the outside world. Yes, but But Luke, being the the extremely gifted child that he is, quickly learned how a workaround for that so that he could slowly get some information from the outside world to find out what was going on and if anybody knew what happened to him. And he's trying to learn what happened to his parents because at that point he didn't know that his parents were dead. He kind of uh, thought it. but they Yeah, but he didn't know for him. sure. Yeah, but they always said, oh, you know, we're going to give you this shot and once you see the dots, we're going to take you here and then you'll be there for a few weeks and then we're going to wipe your memory and you're going to go back to your parents and everything will be happy, which like lies, first yeah. of all. But he didn't always believe them. So he wanted to find out. He's like, he felt that his parents were dead, but he needed to know for himself. So that's like another very disturbing part is that they were lying to these kids. Like, oh, your parents are alive and you're going to, we're going to send you back to them. Don't worry. You're all going to be happy again. They know where you are. Yes. And it, this whole thing gave me like. Mengele vibes. Oh, for sure. Auschwitz of like, we're going to take the special children and just inject them with a bunch of stuff and test them and, you know, see what happens. It's yes. probably bad for them. We don't really care. I was like, oh, this is creepy. Yes. Very disturbing. Yes. Very disturbing. And but then, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, they also struggle with who to trust because there's these adults telling them this. And then there's some that are pretty friendly, like the housekeeper, Maureen, she kind of befriends the kids and is nice to them and will help them out when she can. Um, which you find out later that she's really only doing that. She's a housekeeper, but she's also been told to like spy on the kids and make sure that they don't ask too many questions or they don't group up together too much. Um, right. And she'll steer them in the wrong direction, you know? Yes. She'll purposely try her. to avert them. Yes. Yes. So then after Luke has been there for a bit, obviously he bonds with Kalisha. They have their little group. Um, and then a kid named Avery arrives, Avery Dixon. He's a little 10-year-old. He's obviously very scared to be there alone. And he, you know, attaches himself to Luke and Kalisha very quickly. You know, he bonds with them. They become this cute little trio. And I see Luke as, like, his older brother figure to him. But Avery is a very, very strong TP. He's one of the most gifted TPs at the Institute. And Kalisha notices this because she's also a tp and they can kind of communicate using just their minds right um because they're both very strong tps which that comes in super well at the end but luke kind of like you said just looks out for avery thinks of him kind of like a little brother and so Meanwhile, they're also getting taken for treatment. They have their, I think, like certain days that they go in for their shots. And so Luke goes in for another injection and he sees the dots, the Stasi lights. And 
he after this happens he realizes that he's now gained some telepathic ability so before he was just telekinetic and able to randomly move things with his mind but after he sees the dots he starts to realize that he can also hear some things as well but of course he lies and doesn't tell the staff this because he doesn't want them to think it's working he doesn't want to go to back half um and then he starts to talk to the other kids and finds out that this has happened to other people or some of the other kids as well. So whatever they're injecting them with is doing something to them. It's furthering their abilities or adding some abilities to them. And I think Stephen King's ability to give you just enough information to leave you wanting more and wondering how it's going to end is like one of his greatest strengths because Especially with this book, I was just like, what is going to happen? But you just have to keep reading to find out. Like that, I think that is strengths. Yes, I would agree. But soon after Luke realizes that he is also TP, Felicia is taken to the back half. So Luke loses one of his closest friends. It's just you know, Avery and Luke now in the front half along with children and Luke finally is able to break through the internet, you know, kind of firewalls that they have set up, researches his parents and finds out that and that they are, you know, the authorities are looking for Luke because they think Luke did it. Like he murdered his parents and then ran away. So now Luke is being blamed for the death of his parents, but he also now knows that the Institute is, in fact, lying to them. So now his main goal is to escape and bring... I'm sorry, can you hear that? <laughs> I heard it is uh, Sebastian... Yeah, he's, he's got a toy. He's got his toy. I, let, me just, let me just go get that one. Hi. A little can musical just, <laughs> just background just for us. Take that. Thank you. You can have it later. Oh, he thinks I'm going to play with it. Oh, I'm terrible. I'm terrible okay so now luke's main goal is to escape the institute and bring down the entire operation yeah and this is good. when things start getting really good oh yes it gets so good so now he's on a mission and he's trying to get some of the other kids involved and try to get them out um so avery starts sleeping in luke's room and because they've become so close and avery is such a strong tp that he can communicate with kids even in the back even from the back half so like he and kalisha can still communicate with each other through their minds and so they're getting information about the back half from kalisha which is great because no one really knew. They just knew you go to back half and you don't ever come back. And so she explains what's going on back there and that in the back half, the kids are put to work and they have them watch these movies. Yeah. That are, it's like just series of images. It's not, it's not like a typical movie. It's just like images over and over on a loop Yes. Like car crashes and 
like static noise and there's one of a, a man that's always holding an unlit match and he'll just be standing there holding it. Um, yes. Or like and it, oh, seemingly random people will just pop up on the screen. And the way I envisioned this in my mind was like old propaganda films like yes. from the World Wars. That is how I envisioned this, you know, playing on the screen for the children. Those like I propaganda am- reels before the movies back in, you know, the, the time of the World Wars. Yes. And I envisioned it as like black and white, creepy, just like. Yes. Static yeah. Kind of like that. Like images. static flashes of things happening. Like you can't really figure out what it's all together with. And yes. after the kids watch them, they all get these like really bad headaches. Yes. And so Luke's kind of listening to all of this and he realizes that they're trying to to mind control the kids through this, like prep them into zombies basically is how I yes. think of it. And then they can con- they being the institute will control the kids. Yes, cuz the longer they're in the back half the more zombie-like they become and, like, the worse their headaches become or their headache, headaches no longer fade over time. And they kind of morph into this version of themselves that they refer to as gorks. Yeah. And gorks are the ones that have kind of lost their mind and just kind of wander around in a daze, zombie-like, like you said, and in the back half. like just like dead in the eyes yes slobbering like no control mentally like physically they're still up walking around but it's like there's nothing happening yeah and so that was what was really like creepy to me that was a really creepy element very yeah so luke takes all this information that Felicia is passing to Avery and he pieces together that they are kind of using these children as human drones. Mm -hmm. And within these movies that they're showing them, there's a target. You don't know who the target is. You don't know why they're a target, but somebody in those films that they're showing them is a target that they're using the kids, um, you know, to get to. So Luke, is just, I I don't know how he thinks so quickly and acts (laughs) on his feet like he does, but he keeps denying that he's a TP, but he saw the dots. We all know he's seen the dots. And he finds out that Maureen is a snitch and that she's been kind of playing the double agent, you know, befriending the kids and then telling the Institute officials, you know, who's causing trouble, who's questioning things, and then they get sent prematurely to the back half to get rid of them, basically. But Maureen also admits she did this because she's very sick and she wants to, you know, pay for her her son's school and that, you know, she's basically realized that she's dying and she wants to atone for what she's done, so she wants to help Luke. Yes. So and she t- Luke had also... I think Maureen had confided in him about like her nasty divorce and some of her medical debt. And so Luke being the really smart and resourceful kid he is, he uses that and he starts helping her and he'll use his internet tokens to find information for her about like, here's some good lawyers and here's 
some ways to get out of debt. And so he tries to help her and she really appreciates that. Like Maureen's one of those characters, like we talked about that she's doing bad things, but it's like, you also still think she's a, a decent person at the end. I don't yeah. know. He just does like, such a good job. And why? You yes. understand why you're like, man, like that's really kind of evil of you to be snitching on these kids that they're experimenting on, but they are also using you and they're manipulating you right. to get what they well, want from you. And I think she knows, and probably everyone at the Institute knows that, you know, if anyone would go tell about what's happening here, you would just be executed. Like they know yes what they're doing to get these kids here. So it's that thing of like, if I'm going to survive, I just have to buckle down and do, do my job that I've been hired to, which right or wrong, that's the choice they make, which Maureen kind of redeems herself there at the end. Um, Yes. So because she, so Luke helps Maureen with her divorce, you know, um, helps her get back her money and she, in turn, helps him escape. She tells him after they stop testing him that he'll only have three days before they take him away. And, you know, lo and behold, they stop testing him. So he realizes that he's now on a timeline of getting out of the Institute. So he recruits Avery and Maureen. And together they work together. And together they work together. Wow, Paige. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> And they work together to get Luke outside of the walls of the Institute. You know, Maureen kind of leaves him an escape package and the laundry, I believe it is. You know, he she leaves him a paring knife so that he can dig and dig his way out from a loose piece of fence. And she leaves a trail in the woods for him to find his way out. So that is exactly what directions on to navigate this landscape because like he doesn't even know where he is. Is he still in Minneapolis? Right. He's somewhere in another country. Like he has no idea. Exactly. So she kind of gives him the signal that it's all clear and that he needs to get out. And Luke takes his way out. He goes, you know, the one thing about the Institute is that there are more kids than there are staff and the staff has kind of gotten lax in their security. So he goes out to the playground, kind of acts like he's just hanging out there. And then when all the other kids go inside, he digs his way out under the fence, cuts the tracker out of his ear because they put a tracker. I know. Oh, that part, that part got me, but cuts the tracker out of his ear that they put on him, you know, the first day he was there and follows the directions that Maureen gives him to a boat. He takes the boat down the river to the railway station and he hops on the cars there. You know, he avoids the police there. He figures there are people in in line from the Institute, like down the line who are looking out for missing kids, like potential missing kids that the Institute is paying to watch, kind of like be guards just in case you know, the lapse in security does happen and a kid gets out and he ends up on a train that is headed toward Dupre, South Carolina. So that's where we start to bring it all back around to the beginning 
and you're right he doesn't what he doesn't know who to trust yet outside and he knows that everyone who works here is probably pretty close in the area so he wants to get as far away as he can before he starts talking to anybody so that's why he gets on this train and winds up in Dupre. And meanwhile, back at the Institute, um, the staff discovered that Maureen has killed herself. After she helps Luke escape, she knows that if she's caught, it's basically over for her. So she kills herself. And then they realize that Luke is gone. And so, of course, the first person they go to is Avery because they are best friends. And they torture Avery until he has no choice but to give them some information. But he's clever, so he lies. He doesn't give them the whole truth. He gives them just enough to feel like what they're doing is working and to get them to calm down. Um, But he's not telling them the whole truth because he's trying to protect Luke. But there's another TP kid there, and she can sense from Avery that he's lying. And so she... Snitches on him to the staff. Mm. Snitches get stitches. Yeah, exactly. I was like, (laughs) girl. Mm -mm. But she's so ingrained. I think she still believes that, like, if I do things right, I'm going to go back to my family. Yeah. Is believing the lie that they feed. Yes. Because of everything that's happening to her. Yes. And so they. Come on, girl. Yeah, exactly. The staff realizes kind of where Luke's at based on what they think Maureen has told him, what they can get out of Avery. And so they realize that he's probably headed in these certain directions. And so they send their staff out to look for him. And they realize that Dupre is on one of these. And so they've made up this whole story about how he's a runaway kid and, you know, their family, they're trying to find him. And, They've got people kind of all over the country undercover trying to find Luke. Um, And so Luke's hopped on this train and someone else hops on and it's actually someone who's working for the Institute, which Luke doesn't know that. But this guy, Maddie, says that, you know, I know people are looking for you, so you better get off at the next stop, which is going to be Dupre. So when he winds up in Dupre, it's this little tiny town. I think he feels kind of safe, but there's someone in this town who is working for the Institute. And so they alert them that Luke is there. And this guy's the motel owner. And so he kind of keeps an eye on who comes in and out of town And he realizes that Luke is there and is ready to get this reward that the Institute staff has. Yes. So in Dupre, Luke tells Tim, you know, Tim from Florida, New York, wherever he's from. (laughs) He tells Tim his story and also um, another of the police officers there, Wendy, who Tim is now dating, and Annie, one of the locals there. He tells them their story. Annie believes him because she's a woman and, you know, we have that intuition and Tim (laughs) is skeptical, but Maureen had given Luke a flash drive, which 
he gives to Tim and says, you know, watch this. And on that flash drive is a video of Maureen, you know, corroborating Luke's story, confirming everything he's saying about the Institute, including, you know, some video of uh, the Gorks in front half and, you know, some of the things going on at the Institute. So now they have Annie, Wendy, and Tim fully convinced of, you know, what, Luke is saying is going on at the Institute and he's like, basically we need to go back and help them. Like we have to expose this institution and bring them down. But can you even imagine No, (laughs) some kid walking up to you off the street, which he goes to the police station. So obviously let's in theory, someone that's going to help you. And then they come in with this wild story about, a home for children where they get tested. I would just be like, kid, what that, kind of drugs are you on? Yeah, that <laughs> like, would blow my mind. Yes. So thank goodness he had that flash drive because otherwise they would have just written him off and not believed him. Yes. But back to Avery is now in the back half and, you know, he's with all the other kids. They're, re- they're reunited. They're watching the films. They're getting these headaches. And he realizes that they can combine their powers to soothe each other's headaches and that collectively they're stronger. So Avery also figured out that the movies are showing them work by showing them a mix of their target, you know, the, the seemingly unidentified person in the films, the Stasi lights or the dots, then the humming noise, and then the image of the doctor with the unlit sparkler. And when they finally show the man with the lit sparkler, that is what triggers the kids to destroy their target. Which, it just blows my mind that Stephen King came up with this. That's what I'm, like, this is also like me, but then I also, I, I don't want to say that I feel like it's real, but I also feel like there is some, like, who knows? There's some crazy crap that goes on yes. in our government and in, oh, like, the world. absolutely happened. Yes. That I'm like, I mean, it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I would, if, if this is a breaking, you know, like, breaking news in 20 years, I won't be surprised. Yeah. I would, like, Stephen King called it. It's crazy to yeah. think about. Yeah. But. It is. Um. But Avery has discovered that if they tap into their powers and use them together, that they're stronger. And he then, you know, basically incites a revolt. And he gets the others to join together so that they can rise up against the staff at the Institute. They go to Ward A, which they call Gorky Park. And they release the Gorks because they can use their power, too. And then they all start to kind of march to the front half. But they discover that the staff has disabled the locks in the building and they're locked in essentially between front half and back half. So they don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they're like, let's call out to Luke. Like we know Luke got out. So they use their collective powers to call out to Luke. So, Oh, so while all of this is happening... Like, meanwhile, back in Dupre, Tim's listening to this story, and so he brings Luke to the sheriff and is telling this whole other story. And then suddenly Luke gets this 
like flare of his power where he's just way stronger than what he's ever done before. And it's because the kids in back half are linked together and like, like putting a signal out to him or putting a call out to him and he can feel it all the way in Dupre, which I, if I'm remembering right, I think the Institute, the actual location is in like Maine back country, somewhere in the East, like in the woods. I feel, yeah, I feel like it's always there for Stephen Yeah, that's, which that's ma- yeah, makes sense. Most of his things are set in Maine. Yeah. Um, so they, he can sense this all the way from there because that's how powerful that they are. And so, you know, they show the sheriff this video and while they're there at the sheriff's office, the team from the Institute comes looking for Luke because they know from the guy that owns the motel that that's where he's at. And so they have this big shootout altercation at the police station and it's just kind of like chaos guns going everywhere. Um, And a lot of people end up dying, but they keep Luke safe and they've injured Sigsby, who's like the head of, the institute but tim's okay luke's okay and wendy is okay the sheriff dies which i remember i didn't until i like started doing a little refresher but i really liked his character I, yeah, when i read so when i saw that he died i was like oh i remember that and it was really, it was really sad he was it a was, good yeah he was just a pure guy like a good guy yeah and he, he wanted to help luke. this kid yeah yes. it was so sad to me when he died you know he was a very minor character but yeah it was very sad to hear that he died in the shootout but in the end the team from the institute you know they kind of overpower them and luke receives a message from the back half kids and knows that they're trapped and need help so he demands that sigsby like you said the director of the institute puts him in contact with Stackhouse, who is another you know head guy at the institute who stayed there while Sigsby traveled down to Dupre and Luke tries to negotiate with him. He says he wants all the kids and in exchange, he'll give them the flash drive with all the evidence and he'll keep the institute a secret if he can come up there and get the kids with Tim and Wendy and Stackhouse agrees. So Tim and Luke head towards the institute and Wendy stays back at the hotel in case things like they travel along together and Wendy at some point they stop at the hotel, Wendy stays there kind of as like the insurance policy to make sure that somebody, if something happens to Tim and Luke, somebody who knows the truth about the Institute can then leak it. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong, like if Stackhouse doesn't hold his end of the deal. So, Which is so smart. Cause I feel like yes. the most, stories like this or like especially movies it's like you just go guns blazing with the whole crew to the final yes. battle and it's like no <laughs> yeah somebody's gonna stay behind and make sure that if this all blows up at least one person will be safe yes they can expose the institute for what it is so yes. yeah so back at the institute Stackhouse, you know kind of the head honcho there is waiting for Tim, Sigsby, and Luke. But he's also worried about Zero Phone, which this is such a Stephen King thing. He comes up with like the most random titles. But Zero Phone is the phone of the guy who really runs the Institute. 
and he always calls them and kind of leaves cryptic messages for them. And, and he, he talks keeps, with a lisp. Yeah, he talks which, with a lisp, which is like his defining characteristic. Like you don't know much about zero phone guy. But it also make like I think it just adds another layer of like. I don't want to say creepy because like yes. lists are normal and I sometimes have a lisp <laughs> when I, you know, was doing Invisalign. I could not talk without a lips. <laughs> lisp. Yes. So I get it, but I'm like, it just adds a weird. Yeah. It adds a layer. It, for I guess. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's worried that Xerophone is going to, you know, kind of figure out that there's a mutiny currently happening at the Institute and that he's going to be in trouble. But Avery also senses that something is happening and he knows it's time to act with their powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the same time that Avery is like, kind of like riling the kids up again, um, Tim and Luke pull up to the Institute and, you know, Sackhouse did try to go against the deal and he tries, you know, does this big shootout with the van. He kills Sigsby, who's the director of the Institute. But Tim and Luke survive and they manage to get out of the van and approach the Institute. At the same time, Avery has figured out, you know, kind of a plan of attack on how to get the other kids out. But it requires him to stay in the Institute. Mm-hmm. But he's also come to the realization through their, you know, big connection of power, he feels power elsewhere. And he realizes that they're not the only institute. There are institutes around the globe. And their joining of powers has reached out to those children. And they've all kind of become connected. Which I just love the idea of that. I mean, it's scary (laughs) to think about this happening, like, all over the world. But I'm also... Like, I just love it that they all band together and kind of, like, put out the call to these other TP and TK kids around the globe. And, like, yeah, I can see, you know, like, they oh, yeah. are using their power. Then all of a sudden you, like, flip to another institute in another country and all, they feel the call and the pull of the power. And then they all join together. And the all these kids join together to use their power to burst through the locked doors um sadly the staff poisoned the front the kids who remained in the front half with gas and um you know all those kids ended up dying and through this power that avery is channeling the front half of the building begins to levitate and it's you know then it falls and it crushes it like shaking i don't know i can also just clearly picture this scene too yeah which it's so weird but i keep picturing when i was thinking of it like our old high school yeah (laughs) it's like a big brick building like that and it just like rises up and it's shaking and then bam it falls it goes down (laughs) yeah so the poison kids in front half any of the remaining students and avery um, all sadly die in this yeah. in this uprising, but and most of the staff and most dies. of the staff, yes. But you know, Kalisha, uh, George, and Nikki, who are another um, two of the kids that you get to know, 
and they all survive and they run away with Luke and Tim. And so it kind of flashes forward a couple months and Tim, Luke, Kalisha, and Nikki are all living together because Luke is orphaned and Tim has become like connected and invested in in these kids in this story. So he kind of takes Luke under his wing, takes the kids under his wing. Some of the remaining, the kids that did survive were sent with, relatives and all all they said was that they were kidnapped like they haven't told anyone about what really happened at the institute and what the whole deal was tim and luke are living on this farm and the zero phone guy the lisping man shows up and he's basically there to give them a warning to not tell anyone what happened at the Institute. And then he kind of tells them the whole backstory of why. And he says that the Institute was started in the 1950s and that it was set up under the guise of like protecting the world and like human safety, human interest. Um, And that they are, they study people with special abilities like the TKs and the TPs, but that there's also people who can see into the future. And so they're obviously interested in that too, because they're like, if we can, his whole thing is if, if we can control that and we can harness that power, like we can stop bad things from happening in the world. We can stop wars and famines and all of these things. And Luke was like, yeah, I get what you're trying to do, but that's not realistic. Like, and then yeah. he goes into this genius boy tangent of like, mathematically, <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. He says like precognition, which, you know, the, the people who identify the future threats are called precogs. But the whole goal was to use the precogs to identify future threats and then use the take out those threats before they happened and Luke was like yeah but you know precognition is most accurate in the immediate future not in the distant future so you're using it incorrectly and it's actually not that accurate right and the further out you go the more random it becomes so you're actually you could be killing completely innocent people who would not follow through on the actions that the precogs identified and causing more chaos which now that we're just like talking about this, it reminds me of another Stephen King book that's all about like how one action can change the course of history and like the whole butterfly effect of if you do, if you remove X, it not only changes Y, but it also changes Z and it does all of this and the domino effect that that has. So I love those elements of his stories and how he yes. really focuses on that aspect of things. Yes. So after, you know, they have this discussion with the lisping man and he again, warns them not to say anything about the Institute, which the institutes around the world are seemingly shut down after, you know, this uprising, um, you know, all the kids escape. Felicia you know, returns to her family, her surviving family members. I think she has a sister that she's going to live with. 
But Luke has no relatives, so he stays on the farm with Tim and Wendy, which I was happy to see that, you know, he found a home and a family again. Yeah, I loved that. Yes, but the book ends with Luke, you know, kind of looking back on everything that happened to him and really thinking about Avery and how heroic he was. And that just... uh, I cried at the end. I'm not going to lie. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> it just so, so sweet. sweet. Yeah. It was, you know, it was like his little brother. They didn't know each other that long, but they had such a bond. And Avery sacrificed himself very willingly. He just, he identified what needed to happen. And he, he did that to save everybody else. And that's when you realize, like, in the book, Avery is the true hero. Yes. You know, you think... You think Luke is because he's the main character. He's the main kid that you learn about. But Avery is the true hero of the Institute. Well, and it's that thing, too, of like trauma bonds. And there's so few people that truly know what these kids went through and what each other went through. And so that does make a really strong bond, even though, you know, it's, they didn't grow up together. They were only together for a short amount of time. They went through so much that that has a big impact. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved... secretly like to think that Kalisha and Luke stayed in touch. And you know. Oh, for sure. Well, I was like rooting for them to be an end game, even though they're like 12. I was so like, maybe. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I don't know. They're like preteens. They yeah. could be thinking it. Maybe in. Maybe in 20 years, there will yeah. be people and they're together and they're yeah. all living on a farm with Tim and Wendy. <laughs> that would make me happy. So, yes. yeah, just a wild ride that, you know, I never knew where it was going next. Highly recommend this book. We just, uh, yeah, I feel like we just tap, we barely tap the surface on this. Um, because there's so much, I there's mean, so much I to- cannot explain. <laughs> Yes. And there's so much, like we mentioned Avery and Kalisha, but there's so many other kids that you you get to know and their backstories. And then there's, I mean, the whole front part of the book is about Tim settling in this town and there's townspeople that you meet and stories that he goes through. So there's so much in this book. Like we said, it's a pretty long one. Um, And it's really good. And that, like we said, Stephen King just does a good job of laying the foundation and setting the scene in ways that you don't even really know that it's being set until you loop back around. And it's like, okay, all of this makes sense. Like the motel owner, he's mentioned in the first half, you don't think anything of it. He's just a townsfolk. And then he plays an integral part in the ending point. So. Yeah. I love how he does that and how he ties everything all together. Absolutely. So highly recommend the Institute. Yes. Um, I would love to see this as a show. Yes. I feel like it's been talked about as a show, but I don't know with COVID that probably got put. Yeah. But I thought I saw a headline somewhere about this potentially being adapted. I would love to see it as a mini series. Yes. So definitely check out The Institute by Stephen King if you haven't. And let us know what your 
favorite Stephen King books are or favorite Stephen King adaptations because yes. there's been some incredible movies made based off of his books. Yeah. And oh, also we want to give a shout out to the bibliophile, which is a blog, a book blog. And that's where we both did our refresher on this book. And I know I've looked at some of her posts on other books before because I have a lot of people ask me like, how do you read so much to do a new book every week? And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We're not reading one new book every week for the pod. Like we'll kind of stagger on and off of a book that we're currently reading. And then we'll go back and talk about books that we've read in the past, which is fun because there are a lot of books that we have both read, but it is kind of hard when it's been eight months, nine months, maybe a year or more since we've read this book. And so the bibliophile does a really great job of detailing the plot and giving good refresher courses for us so yeah that was so funny because that you know during our pre-recording session you're like oh my gosh I found this amazing site that I do my refresher on and I said the bibliophile you're like yes <laughs> we did not even know but we were both using the site for and I'm pretty sure I use it for the silent patient as well I did too and I I think there was one more I think I did it for the guest list because it had been a while yes since I had listened to that. So shout out to them. They do a really good job of recapping books and giving information about that. So be sure to check them out. If you want to go even deeper than we did, um, check them out for sure. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah. Now I'm not too long on this episode (laughs) for once. Yes, uh, one of our shorter episodes for sure, which I feel like we made a conscious effort to not make it an hour and a half this time. Um, but yes, because we easily could have, like we said, oh, there's easily. so much. We're saving, we're saving that for Stephen King book that we're going to because <laughs> that one's going to be a marathon, folks. It's going to be a marathon. But um, mostly just me, probably. I feel yes. like you can like... <laughs> Start the timer and I'll just run yeah, with it. I'll be going, I'll be making dinner in the background <laughs> and Sydney will just be going You'll just like shake your head and nod and like, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh-huh. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give my input every now and then, but yeah, take it away, Sydney. <laughs> but yeah, this was fun. I'm glad. I forgot how much I like the Institute, so I'm really glad we got to discuss. I am too. It's definitely one that I would recommend to people and especially if there's someone who you know doesn't like scary books or they would be scared away by some of his earlier novels this is one that I think definitely has a great plot and is super interesting but not not as like gory or like jump out and scare you as some of his other oh yeah yes definitely so thank you all for tuning in this week I hope you enjoyed our recap of the Institute. If you've read the Institute or any other Stephen King novels, please, you know, contact us on Instagram. You can email us at lifeandlitpod at gmail.com. I personally am looking to read more Stephen King. So if you have any suggestions or recommendations, I would love to hear them. Um, I'm personally 
thinking about reading one of his newest novels, Billy Summers, soon. Um, So very excited. We might discuss more. Well, we will definitely discuss more Stephen King on pod episodes to come. So thank you for tuning in tonight and happy reading. Happy reading. Thank you.